everyone, this is Dan Miller and you're listening to Speaking of Products. On this show, I focus on what it takes to start and grow a business around technology products. These days, there are so many fantastic people creating all sorts of wonderful technology products that make our world a better place. For every one of the popular platforms you know and love, there are many more new and lesser known ones on the way. I'm on the journey myself to create a technology product business, and so I've produced this podcast as a way of sharing the ideas, strategies, and tactics I discover on the way. There's always something we can learn from ambitious founders and what they do to get ahead. The goals here are to highlight what has worked for the success stories and to uncover what is going on with those hidden gems. Hey there, welcome back to Speaking of Products. I've had a few weeks off. Um, It's spring here in Canberra in Australia, and we've had one of the best seasons so far in so many years. Normally, since global warming kicked in, we get quite a lot of dry periods and, you know, a bit of drought here and there. Actually, we've had some significant drought over the last few years. But this year, for some reason, we've had a lot of rain over winter and, man, everything's looking just beautiful. So I took a few weeks off in the last couple of weeks um, just to enjoy the outside, enjoy the garden, you know, go out and a few walks here and there. My weekends have just been spent relaxing and I'm feeling pretty good for it. Anyway, back for an episode of Speaking of Products. And today I'm going to have a bit of a chat about some of the formalized approaches to product development. This information will be useful for uh, first-time product developers wondering what approaches are available to learn about and also for experienced product creators looking for a handy quick reference. Before I get into it though, I was wondering if I could ask a small favor of you. Yes, you, the person listening to me right now. (laughs) You're obviously listening to me because you enjoy the show. And I'd love it if more people could find out about the show and get a bit of enjoyment out of it as well. Now, obviously, the way people find out about things is either their friends tell them about it or they read about it online. So if you could do one of those two things or both right now, that'd be so cool and it'd mean a lot to me. Yep, that's it. Pause the show after I explain and then go out and do this for me, would you? Get in touch with one of your friends who you think will get a bit of value out of the show and just let them know about speaking of products. Say, hey. I heard about this cool podcast you might enjoy. It's called Speaking of Products. You should check it out. And the other way, which is going to get a lot more reach over time, is if you can just jump online and give a bit of feedback or provide a review about the show. There's so many places you can do that these days. There's Apple Podcasts, which is obviously the number one. That's where most people find out about podcasts and get connected to it. So you can give a rating there and provide a bit of feedback. And there's so many other places as well. There's Spotify, Stitcher. There's a place called podcastreview.org. That's pretty cool. Um, One that's been around for a while and everyone's having a good look at is one called Podchaser. So that's podchaser.com. I'll link to all these in the show notes. Uh, Where else can you go? You can jump onto Reddit and there's a subreddit there about podcasting and podcast shows or product development. Just find whatever you're familiar with or whatever you're comfortable, even Facebook if that's what you're into or LinkedIn. Um, Yeah, just let people know about the show. It would mean a lot to me and I'd be so thankful for it. And if you want to, Let me know on Twitter that you have. All right, that's enough shameless self-promotion, I think, for now, hey? Thanks again for considering it. And let's get on with the episode, shall we? All right, the subject today is about new product development methods, as I mentioned before. Now, what the context is here is when you're producing anything or creating anything in life, there's a few ways you can go about it. You can either wing it and just go with your gut feel. Um, You could 
go from experience, you know, if you've actually done this thing sort of thing before and you want to follow the approach that you've done in the past. Another path you can take is to follow the lead of others that have been there before you. So there's so many ways you can go about that as well. You can go from the let's just do what everyone else is doing approach or you could go right up to the other end of the scale, which is let's follow a real structured method that successful organizations or people have in the past found worked really well. And so they've documented it. Now, the usual caveat applies here. What works for one person or one organization might not work for you in your situation. Everyone's situation is different and the characteristics that might apply to you might not even apply very well to something that someone else has done in the past. All right, that's the disclaimer aside. The reason why I came up to talk about this topic today is that a few months ago, when I was working on my product, I started thinking to myself, am I going about this the right way or am I wasting time here? Or am I spinning my wheels in certain areas when I could be being more effective doing some other things? So I did a bit of research and I found there's actually quite a large number of product development methods out there. And I thought, okay, why don't I just grab a bit of information about them and share them with folks on the show? That way I can give back and save a few people a bit of research time or just share the knowledge really. So in the show today, I'm about to give you a summary of the following approaches to product development. First one's called the BAH, New Products Management. Then there's IDEO, Design Thinking. Then there's one called StageGate. Another one called Customer Development. There's one that's probably everyone's heard of. It's called Lean Startup. And then there's one called New Concept Development. And lastly, the one I'll be going through at the end is called Exploratory Product Development. Now, bear in mind as you're listening to this, some of these productive development methods are quite old these days. They have been around for a while and they may not work very effectively anymore. Some of them do, some of them don't. And like I mentioned before, it's all dependent on your context and what you're going for. So the first one, the BAH New Products Management Approach. This was um, an approach that came out of the work in the 1980s by a US management consulting firm named Booz Allen Hamilton, BAH. It's regarded as one of the first models of product development to be published, and it's the basis of many other models that have been developed afterwards. So hence the reason I'm starting with this one first. You'll probably find some, some of the ideas out of this one found their way into the others over time. So BAH New Products Management was a response to dealing with the inherent risk associated with new product development by following a systematic framework. The process runs following seven stages in sequence. First one is come up with a new product strategy, then generate some ideas, screen those ideas, undertake some detailed analysis of a business, design and develop the product, test it, and then commercialize it. Sounds so simple, right? Oh, if everything was just that easy, man, we'd all be millionaires. All right, let's have a look at this in a bit more detail. I'm being a bit facetious there, so apologies. So stage one is developing the new product strategy. First, the leaders of the product development project, that could be you, or that could be if you're working in an organization, your, your peers and your senior managers and executives. You review the mission and the objectives of the business, and then you identify some roles that a new product might play in satisfying the goals of the organization. So this is very much an organization-first approach. The idea of this first step is to provide guidance for which direction to head towards with a new product. For example, a business that specializes in, say, the hair fashion industry might look at its current goals of targeting consumers 
of online video content. It might then use this understanding as a framework for setting a strategy of which types of product ideas to consider and which ones to set aside. Next up after this is generating the ideas. A search is undertaken for product ideas that are compatible with the goals of the objective of the first stage. And then there is a reflection on what product categories are of interest. The main activity is then soliciting ideas from any potential source, including employees, customers, vendors, friends, connections, etc. Following this, you get into the screening and evaluation stage. So ideas are screened to determine which discoveries should be further investigated. And the aim is to narrow down the list to only those things that have the greatest potential. Once you get through this, you get into the business analysis stage and the most promising product ideas are put through intense scrutiny to determine their potential for viability. Areas investigated include product attributes, barriers to entry, current and potential competitors, target markets, market growth information, financial projections, promotional methods, etc. So you get right down into the details at this point, pretty heavy stuff. So after the analysis is done, you're going to come up with the idea that you're going to work on. This is the product we're going to go for. From here, you get into design and development. And the idea that has come out on top of the previous stage is translated into an actual product. This stage sees the development of an actual product with numerous alterations and fine tuning on the way. Eventually, it reaches a point where you can start testing it. And product testing is undertaken to validate early assumptions and hypotheses. Trials are undertaken to determine market suitability. And in this stage, the goal is to connect with the potential real customers where possible. The final stage in the BAH approach is the full-scale introduction of the newly developed product to the market. During this stage, the ongoing customer feedback is sought to ensure expectations are met, bugs are identified, competitor reactions are monitored, etc. And that's it. That's the BAH approach. Now, if you've been working in the product development space in the last few years, you've probably got a few alarm bells going off in your head, right? The first one that's coming to mind is, I'm a bootstrapped product developer and I don't have the deep pockets and resources like a mega organization to be able to afford all those steps. And the second little alarm bell that's probably going off is, we've proven in the past that taking this heavy upfront approach doesn't actually guarantee that you're going to end up with a product that people like. However, for organizations that do have the resources, this is potentially an okay approach. You know, if you've been in an industry for quite some time and you know the ins and outs of it and you've got a whole bunch of products already under your belt, taking this approach could possibly work. Gives you that methodical approach for coming up with a strategy, screening the ideas, really getting into the details and then picking the thing that comes out on top based on detailed analysis. All right. Number two in my list of product development methods that I'm going to go through today is called the IDEO design thinking approach. Now, IDEO is a design firm established in Palo Alto, California in 1991. IDEO was formed as a merger of several existing firms by well-known designers David Kelly, Bill Mogridge, and Mike Nuttall. IDEO started out designing consumer products, you know, toothbrushes, personal assistants, computers, some of the more well-known products worked on by the IDEO folks include the very first Apple Mouse, and they also worked on the Palm 5 Personal Digital Assistant, remember those, and also the Steelcase Leap Office Chair. IDEO have since expanded to be a major leader in the world of innovation, human-centered design, and consumer experience. 
So the foundation of IDEO's success is a concept known as design thinking. While design thinking wasn't invented by IDEO, they were the ones to popularise it due to their success using it as a foundation for their own product development work. IDEO sees design thinking as a set of both mindsets and design-based activities that foster the collaboration required to solve problems in human-centred ways. Yeah, I've personally worked on some design-centred projects and I reckon they're pretty cool. They definitely flip the script on how you go about things. All right, so what is this IDEO approach? The design thinking approach is based on three core activities, inspiration, ideation, and implementation. Now let's go through these one by one. All right, inspiration. First up, you start by framing a question. That is, you identify a driving question that inspires others to search for creative solutions. Next, you gather the inspiration, you know, inspire new thinking by discovering what people really need. And once you've done that, you get into the ideation stage or the ideation activity. Here you're generating ideas. You're pushing past obvious solutions to get some breakthrough ideas of what it is you're going to try and build. Then you move into the implementation activity. And this is when you make ideas tangible. You know, you build rough prototypes and learn how to make the ideas better. Then you test them to learn what people think. So you refine the ideas by gathering feedback and experimenting forward. And this is a bit of a cycle. So you'll go through this over and over again a few times. Inspiration, ideation, implementation. Try it out, see what people think, and then rinse and repeat. And eventually you're going to incrementally get towards a product which people really want and are going to get a lot of value out of. And that's it. That's the IDEO approach. Pretty simple, isn't it? And that's probably one of the reasons why it's worked so well for them in the past and some of their products. Okay, number three in my summary of product development methods. This one's called StageGate Systems. A gentleman by the name of Robert G. Cooper first published his ideas about StageGate Systems in 1990. Uh, Cooper describes StageGate Systems as effective tools to manage, direct and control the product innovation efforts. Cooper states that a StageGate system is both a conceptual and operational model for moving a new product from idea to launch. It's a blueprint for managing the new product process to improve effectiveness and efficiency. Um, the system is made up of a number of stages which are connected to each other by gates. So work is undertaken in a stage and in order to proceed through to the next stage, certain criteria need to be met at the current gate. If the project fails to meet the criteria at the gate, then a decision is made to stop developing further. So let's go through these, hey? So it begins with stage zero. This is the discovery and idea generation stage. The process is initiated by a new product idea. It involves seeking new technological possibilities, working with innovative customers to uncover unarticulated needs, using creativity methods such as brainstorming, and then running strategic planning exercises to uncover gaps, opportunities, and potential disruptions in the marketplace. So once you get through this, you hit the very first gate, and that is the initial screen. This is when the first decision is made to commit resources to the project, or not, to develop the product. Gentle checks are made against criteria such as strategic alignment, project feasibility, you know, can we do this? The magnitude of the opportunity, differential advantage, and synergy with the firm's core business. You also take a look at available resources and market attractiveness in this screen. And if you get through it, that takes you to stage one, scoping. 
So a quick investigation and scoping of the project is undertaken. Market and technical information is gathered at a very low cost and in a short time. And once you've got this information, it takes you to gate number two, and that's the second screen. This, this gate is essentially a repeat of gate one, and the project is re-evaluated, but in light of the new information you found in stage one. And again, you're saying to yourself, should we keep going here? You make it through this screen and you hit stage two, and this is when you start building the initial business case. A much more detailed investigation involving both market and technical research. This is where the bulk of the vital homework is done, which results in a business case to verify the attractiveness of the project. And you get here to gate number three, and that's a decision on the business case. So this is the final gate prior to the development stage. And this is the last point at which the project can be killed before entering heavy spending. Checks are made that the stage two activities were undertaken, the quality of the execution was sound, and the results were positive. A detailed financial analysis is also undertaken at this point. And if you get through it, you hit stage three, development. This is where the rubber meets the road. The detailed design and development of the new product, along with some product testing work is undertaken. The deliverable at the end of stage three is an alpha tested product. Full production and market launch plans are also developed. This stage could take quite a while, um, you know, because you're building something. And when I look back on my own work at the moment, I reckon I'm probably in this stage myself. It's taken quite a while. <laughs> All right, this takes you to gate four, and this is the post-development review. A check is made on the progress and the continued attractiveness of the product and the project. You make it through here and you hit stage four, testing and validation. This stage involves tests or trials in the marketplace and in-house to validate the proposed new product and its marketing and production or operations. Once you get through here, you hit gate number five, and this is your pre-launch decision. This gate focuses on the quality of the activities at the validation stage and their results. Financial projections play a key role in decisions to move ahead. Finally, the operations and marketing plans are reviewed and approved for implementation. Taking you to stage five, launch. Commercialization begins in this stage and it's the start of full operations for production, marketing and selling. And there you go, that's the stage gate approach. I actually use a form of this approach in a lot of the consulting work that I do. In my day-to-day -day work, I find that I'm helping organizations create products and get them rolled out to production. And taking a staged approach where you stop along the way, check in and decide if you're gonna keep going, it saves you a lot of trouble down the line because what you can do is you can pick up issues and then you can either say, all right, fix the issues before we go any further or the issues are so great that we should probably stop at this point. It really saves a lot of valuable time and resources, this stage gate approach. I can see how you could use that in development of your own products. Every now and again, take stock of where you're up to and just check back and say, how are things going? How are they looking? And should I keep going? Don't be afraid to pull the trigger if you need to, just to say, cut it and run. Try something else. Okay, so the next approach that I'm gonna look at is customer development. Now, this is a model for building startups. It was developed by Silicon Valley entrepreneur Steve Blank in the 1990s. And what sets this approach apart from some of the others I've previously mentioned is it's one of the first ones that's really starting to focus on the customer as opposed to the product as the first port of call. The customer development method is made up of four steps that help founders to establish repeatable and scalable businesses. It begins with customer discovery, 
and then moves on to customer validation. And what you might do here is loop over these areas a few times until eventually you come up with something that you can use to create customers. From there, once you've got your customers coming in the door, you can start building the company itself around the product. So let's go through these. First stage is customer discovery. And this focuses on forming hypotheses and understanding the customer problems and needs. Hypotheses are then tested by seeing whether there are actual customers that are willing to purchase. This is something you're probably hearing quite a lot these days. You can produce your product as much as you want. You can do all the analysis, but really you're not going to be absolutely certain that it's going to be a success unless you can prove that people are willing to hand over their money to you for the product itself. People are always going to be nice to you and say, yep, I love your product. Oh, great idea. But unless you can actually prove to yourself that they want to hand over their money, you don't know whether or not you've actually got a viable product on your hands here. So that's what customer discovery is all about. Next up, you move into customer validation. And this involves developing a business sales model that can be replicated and scaled. This step proves that you have a product and a market for it and that customers actually make a purchase. Once you've made it through these stages, you do a bit of a check and pivot. So founders can iterate and pivot back and forth between step one and step two multiple times until a viable option is found. Eventually, you make it through to customer creation and this marks the start of execution. In this step, the goal is to create and drive end user demand to scale those sales, get them going. If you can find a marketing channel that is working for you, double down on it. Finally, you get to the last stage, which is company building. Company building transitions the organization from one designed for learning and discovery to one focused on efficient operations and execution. And that's it. That's the four stage approach to custom development from Steve Blank. And from here, we move on to one of the more popular approaches to product development, and it's known as Lean Startup. You would have heard about this one if you've been involved in product development over the years. Lean Startup is an approach developed by entrepreneur Eric Rees for developing businesses and products with an emphasis on short product development cycles and rapid assessment of viability. The approach combines experimentation driven by ideas and hypotheses with iterative product releases and validated learning. He's really got what is known as a build, measure, learn approach. That's the core concept of action in the lean startup. The goal is to progress through a loop involving generating the idea, building a minimum viable product as quickly as possible, measuring its effectiveness in the market, and then learning from the experience and results. It's been described as a learning cycle of turning ideas into products, measuring customers' reactions, and behaviors against built products and then deciding whether to preserve or pivot the idea. The lean startup approach applies the following key concepts. You have a minimum viable product, that's the beginning. A version of a new product which allows a team to test the ideas and hypotheses with actual customers. Continuous deployment. So originating in the world of software products, continuous deployment is the approach of putting changes and updates to a product into production immediately. This enables actual use by customers and rapid verification of assumptions of value. Split testing, and this is where it involves running experiments to see which versions of a product provide the most value and impact on the return to the business. Actionable metrics, gathering data and statistics about the product and operations that can be used to make informed business decisions and subsequent action. Not gathering data which would be considered vanity metrics. Another key concept is the pivot 
changing strategy and correcting course of the business, following learning from information gathered in production. And lastly, there's innovation accounting, and that's maintaining accountability and outcomes by measuring progress, planning milestones, and prioritizing. The second last approach to product development I'm going to go through today is called new concept development. Now, a 2016 study by Peter Cohen titled Providing Clarity and a Common Language to the Fuzzy Front End looked at the messy getting started period of new product development processes. In the study, Cohen defined a new concept development model consisting of a framework as well as a set of terms to try and provide clarity to that fuzzy front end. You know, when we're actually early on in a product's life cycle and we don't really know what's going on and the future's a bit fuzzy. The new concept development model, or NCD, provides an approach of the front end of innovation and it consists of three parts. There are five key elements, an engine and influencing factors. Cohen says that the circular shape of the NCD is meant to suggest that ideas are expected to flow and iterate between all five elements. So let's go through those elements, hey? First, there's the opportunity identification. The people involved identify the opportunities that the company might want to pursue. Next up, number two is the opportunity analysis. Additional information is gathered to translate identified opportunities into specific business and technology opportunities. Early, often uncertain, market assessments are made. The third key element is idea genesis. This is the development and maturation of the opportunity into a concrete idea. It's a process where ideas are built upon, torn down, combined, reshaped, modified and upgraded. Number four is idea selection. A choice is made regarding which ideas to pursue in order to achieve the most business value. And the fifth key element is concept and technology development. The final front end step involves the development of a business case based on estimates of a market potential, customer needs, investment requirements, competitor analysis, technology unknowns, and overall project risk. So this takes us to the next part of the NCD model, which is the engine. And the engine in the model drives the front end elements and is fueled by the leadership and culture of the organization. In other words, get behind the people building the product and help them do what they need to do. Lastly in the model is the influencing factors. The external environment, which can affect the entire innovation process, such as organizational capabilities, business strategy, and the outside world, influence what's going on. These three elements get put together and iterated over and over until eventually out comes the product at the end with an increased likelihood of success. The fifth and final new product development method that I'm going to go through today is called Exploratory Product Development, or EXPD. This is an approach developed by Mary Drotar and Kathy Morrissey. In their words, XPD proposes a new approach to developing products using a two-pronged solution. One, treating product development from a comprehensive systems perspective, and two, fundamentally redesigning the development process based on reducing project uncertainties and risk. XPD is a response to the issues observed with more traditional phased and gated approaches to product development. The authors state that the phased and gated approach must involve limited uncertainty and risk. But this doesn't align well with the uncertain and changing world that we actually live in. So the XPD process consists of three segments. Strategy, ideas and selection, and then explore and create. Let's go through these. The strategy segment runs throughout the entire process. Its purpose is to guide decision making in regards to 
which products, markets and technologies should be pursued. In XPD, there's a plan for adjusting the strategy dynamically based on external conditions encountered. The organisation remains flexible and adaptable throughout their rapid learning and experimentation. As stated by XPD authors, strategy guides the selection of product development projects and it provides direction as the product evolves. Next up, there's the ideas and selection. In this segment, new product ideas are generated and collected. The best ideas are selected to pursue. This segment continuously looks across the business for multiple opportunities and new product ideas. There are four key areas in this segment. The ideas enter, capture the ideas, prepare the ideas, and then prioritize. The last segment is explore and create. Throughout this segment, focus is on creating a successful new product while attempting to reduce the risk of failure and improving time to market. The authors state, explore and create involves identifying what outcomes would kill the project and where a potentially high level of risk will need to be managed. It then moves from investigate to resolve loops where significant risks are addressed. And there's the three segments. Now, underpinning the XPD approach, is the technique of gaining speed by breaking up the resolution of the project uncertainties into small batches of activities. Basically, the idea there is to avoid large batches to gain speed. Do things in increments, do things in chunks. XPD's got a really nice diagram that goes with it, actually. Um, you consider your collection of ideas as a giant bucket, and then out of that comes a flow of work. Each work tapped out via valve. Now the first valve allows you to investigate these ideas and then from there you go to another valve which helps you resolve a few things that are going to happen, explore and create and so on. You keep going through these valves and keep resolving the issues that you come up with until eventually out the other end is the product that you're going to work on. The idea being reducing the risk as you go and increasing the maturity of the product incrementally over time. And that wraps it up. So there you have it. A nice simple summary of some of the formalized approaches to new product development. You can see the evolution over time. Back in the 70s, everyone was really going through that whole waterfall approach of engineering-based thinking, you know, stage one, do this, then in another sequence, do something else, and then follow the sequence and go to the next bit. And when we hit the 1990s, we started realizing that engineering approach, that waterfall approach of producing things probably doesn't work. You can invest a lot of time and money up front and still not be certain as to what's going on. And we see that switch into the customer-centric view of the world around then. And what do you think about that? How do you do product development? Do you follow a method yourself or do you sort of wing it? Um, do you follow the lead of other people in the industry? Do you work based on experience? At the moment, I feel like I'm actually doing a combination of experience-based development and also following the approaches of industry. Um, combination of those two things seems to be what drives my direction day to day. Now, I reckon that's probably a good point to wrap up the episode. I hope you got a bit of value out of it. The idea was literally just to give you a bit of awareness as to some of the other formalized approaches to product development out there. Who knows? Maybe you're using some of these already in your own day-to-day -day work, or you might start wanting to use them in your own product development work in the future. All right, it's time for shout-outs. And shout-outs this week go to my good friend Malta. Malta reminded me indirectly the other day when we were out on a walk about finding the joy in playing with technology. Malta comes from an engineering background, and we were talking about 
getting familiar with new technologies again, just for the sheer joy of it, just to stay in touch and in, enjoy what you do in your industry. So thanks, Multi, you reminded me to keep finding the joy in everything that I'm working in day to day. To find out more about anything mentioned today, head on over to the show notes at speakingofproducts.com. If you have a question, feedback or suggestions for a topic, I'd love to hear from you. I also welcome short snippets about your own product journey, which we can go to together on the show. You can reach me via Twitter at Speak of Products or Mr. Dan Miller. Subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Speaking of Products. Like I mentioned at the start, if you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot to me and other potential listeners if you would consider giving a rating. Ratings help other people find out about the show. So please take a moment to visit Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever else you're comfortable with and let us know what you think. Speaking of products is a creation of Miller Productions. I'm Dan Miller and you're a fantastic product maker. All the best with whatever you're working on and remember to keep speaking of products. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.